Say, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. And as always, I'm here with my co-host, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. You all right over there? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Uh, so before we get to anything else on the show, um, Elon Musk was in court today. Oh, oh. was uh, it about the tweets? It was over some tweets. Okay, all right. That's that, just that, that's just always just, you know what, guys? It's always the safe course. Just being online. We just we so often have a conversations like, oh, they were in court. What for? Tweets. It's the tweets. Yeah. Well, definitely for him too. Yeah. I mean, it, like that's just something to get. Well, he at. got like he reached a settlement with the SEC a while back over tweets with like non-public information or like market moving information. Yeah, he said and, he was going to go do a public offering yeah, yeah, of yeah. Uh, Tesla, and then he tweeted like a few weeks ago some new thing. So he was in court today, like on that he was in contempt of the earlier <laughs> agreement. Wow. Uh, apparently he, the, the judge let him, they're going to like resolve it themselves and they have two weeks to figure it out. So Elon Musk still tweeting. I really love that this is the lead in because just a teaser for later in the show, we're going to talk about a judge in Texas who also should have not said some things online. Yep. So we'll Never say things online. Later. We've, we've, we've been over and over this and yet we <laughs> still right. have content for the show to me every single week. This tweet is garbage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and then also we're going to uh, do a check in with Chris Villani in Boston, Chris Villani. <laughs> Uh, in Boston, he's covering that Insys trial, which is the uh, sort of racketeering opioid trial that we've right. hinted at a couple times. Uh, but before we a lot do that, of, a lot of Chris Villani stuff on the show today. Yeah, because, he's uh, the uh, our first story. Is... He's the Jeff Overly of this week's show that Jeff was last week. That's yeah. right. So Chris has been in court for us covering the uh, the Varsity Blues scandal. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have anything the... to do with the Paul Walker film. We definitely <laughs> don't. We we definitely don't want these people's lives. You know, like that much. Thousands teen yeah. Texas sports. I can't romp. get enough of this story, though. I think it's so interesting as it continues to unspool. And Bill, yeah. I think you want to run through updates. some, yeah, some of those updates. Yeah, um, uh, we saw a, one of the people at the center of it plead guilty this week. The bunch of people were in court yesterday. A bunch of the celebrities. A bunch of people were in court. Uh, on Friday over the, like sort of complaining that they couldn't go on vacation. So a lot of stuff <laughs> has happened in the last few days. Yeah. Well, let's get a catch up. Uh, we've been calling it Varsity Blues. I don't think we, I don't even think we did that when we first talked about it on the show, but this is the college admissions scandal, which it everybody kind of remembers. But let's let's just do a reset there. Yeah. If you don't remember a few weeks back, uh, federal prosecutors charged more than 50 people with this big criminal scheme to uh, – <laughs> It was essentially a bunch of wealthy parents bribing and cheating to get their kids into great yeah, colleges. There was a, um, there was doctoring of entrance exams. Just a really egregious and, thing, yes. that, like version of what rich parents already do. Yes, um, true. Yes, but yeah, the parents who were charged here was sort of a who's who. It was a lot of wealthy executives. It was um, actresses like Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. It was a former big law attorney. Well, he was a current big law attorney yeah. at that point. Um, guy named Gordon Kaplan, who was the chairman of Wilkie Farr. Mm-hmm. So a big list. Um, apparently the parents, allegedly the parents, um, sort of did two different things. They paid uh, to have their kids' entrance exams, the ACTs, uh, either corrected or, in more egregious cases, to actually have someone take the test for them, yes. which is right. wild. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is that they bribed coaches to sort of uh, mess with the – to say that these kids were uh, – 
athletes. Sports recruits. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And to help them get in there that were, way. There were like bad photoshops of their kids' head on like basketball players' bodies. It, yeah. Was, yeah. it, was, uh, it was all in good fun. And I think that actually gets us exactly to one of our first big updates. There was some movement in one of the cases about one of these coaches that was involved, right? Yeah. So a guy, um, the former women's soccer coach at Yale, um, a guy named uh, Rudolph Meredith, uh, he pled guilty to accepting nearly a million dollars in bribes to help get students into the school. Um, the really interesting thing that happened, uh, it was a hearing on Thursday where he, he pleaded guilty, um, mm-hmm. was prosecutors confirmed when they were asked by the judge uh, that there, there there is an ongoing investigation into this other family and and that was connected to uh meredith so it sort of hinted at um that there you know we know all these people who were charged but there's potentially still ongoing investigations there's still other people who could be caught up in this yeah and there was a lot of speculation about that when it all first came out that this might be just sort of the tip of the iceberg exactly a lot more people involved exactly sort of an onion you're going to keep peeling back layers and finding who who knows what sort of mid-level tv star could could fall (laughs) what 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 domino is next suzanne summers i don't know i don't want to incriminate anybody right uh in any case uh the other big piece of drama that popped up was uh the various uh defendants started making noise about not being able to uh, stay on their regular travel schedules while they're under indictment. Yeah, you know we try to be objective here. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> this one, this one's tough. It is tough because you're talking about a scandal where people felt entitled to entrance to some of the best colleges in our nation, thus and, depriving people and who USC. actually deserve hey, to be. Oh. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, and and now we're talking about something that also has sort of that feeling of you know, entitlement, even yeah. though they're indicted. So on Friday, um, there was a group of, I think it was 15 parents who were making their first appearances in court. Um, and some of them seemed uh, sort of flabbergasted that um, that the felonies they've been charged with would get in the way of their lovely vacations. That <laughs> this is like Lucille Bluth stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so another great TV mom. Right. Uh, needless to say, when you've been charged with a crime such as this, you are not allowed to leave the country Yeah, for all sorts of sort of plain reasons. Yeah. Um, so there's this one guy, William McGlashan. Uh, he is the founder of a private equity firm called TPG Capital. He had asked for permission to go on a vacation to Mexico later this month. Um, you know, I... I, I I know I'm not supposed to travel, but is there any way we could make an exception for it? Um, <laughs> I booked the tickets. It's all set to go. It's a whole I'll thing. I'll come right back. Uh, I'll yeah. be there. Come on. It's fine. You um, can Skype me in. It'll be fine. So in response, on Friday, uh, the prosecutors were in court, and they rattled off the allegations against him just for the judge to uh, um, that he paid $50,000 to a proctor to secretly correct his son's answers on the ACT. Um, he bribed an official at USC. And he created a fake athletic profile for his son to look like a football kicker. Oh, so he did both. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, yeah, yeah. Bo- both buckets of offenses there. Um, they also made a point to mention that uh, McGlashan is allowed to travel within the U.S. And he could perhaps go to his $12 million home in Big Sky, Montana. Or he could go to his other home in California. So it's really not a super big hardship for, for this, <laughs> for him for this to guy not. to not be able to go to. That is the yeah. funniest thing to point out. Like, we're not restricting you. In America, and you have yeah. several vacations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have places you could go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the judge, quote, 
I'm sorry to disappoint your family, but I'm not going to allow the vacation. Tough um, to say. <laughs> so, jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, so the other big thing was yesterday uh, was the first court appearance for a lot of the big stars involved in the case. Yeah. Chris Villani, who we're going to talk to later in the show, he was there for all of it and wrote a really good story about it. That's always a bit of a spectacle. So what happened uh, when they showed up at court? So uh, Lori Laughlin was there, who was the, you know, everyone knows her as Aunt Becky from Full House. Um, yes. Felicity Huffman was there. Um, the the guy we talked about before, Gordon Kaplan, who was the Wilkie Farr uh, chairman. Um, not no, a whole, <laughs> no go ahead. Sorry. I was just, I, I, cause you're going to talk in a bit about like, it was quite a scene. People like people are fans of the two actresses. And then I thought of like, like like law clerks or like summer associates who were like holding up signs for Gordon Kaplan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that actually happened, but Gordon, in, in, in my mind's eye. Gordon, look over here. You look beautiful. Love those motions you file. You file the best motions. Kidding me? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like different types of like groupies yeah, for yeah. Gordon Kaplan. Yeah, big law groupies. Uh, yeah, best kind. Um, uh, but there was a scene there. Yeah, not a whole lot happened. Like they went into court and they said, you yeah. know, they didn't even enter a plea no. yet because um, I believe these were the complaint uh, charges yeah which gets into the criminal law minutia but yeah um, but the courthouse was a complete zoo yeah um, there, there were two young women wearing uh, Lori Laughlin masks outside um, another <laughs> where do you get those unclear I, you gotta think it's like those uh, college like the, basketball ones that like the big yeah like, cut yeah, out. yeah yeah yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Um, Another pair of people were holding up signs, one of which said, Lori, please pay my tuition. And then the other one said, after you get out of prison, of course. Oh. <laughs> um, people rule. There were, this was a nice piece of color from Chris's story. There were also, uh, in addition to all the legal reporters there, there were a bunch of entertainment reporters. Right, yeah. Um, and they spent a substantial amount of time debating whether Laughlin's pantsuit was uh, tan or camel. Oh, goodness. So really getting to the, the cutting edge legal issues. Yeah, I saw the, Hollywood, the Hollywood Reporter also like wrote a way too exhaustive piece for what it was about that Felicity Huffman apparently changed her hair from her first court appearance to this court appearance. Mm. She had she had dark roots, got rid of the dark roots. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for The her. legal intrigue is high, as you can see. Uh, we could talk about this ridiculous case all day, but uh, the, 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 the legal intrigue was also high in uh, a case Alex is going to bring. It's true. Tell us about it. Um, so, you know... I think I said it on last week's show, and the, it's a it's an old old chestnut of the legal profession that there are no secrets in bankruptcy, um, and that is certainly holding true for the clean energy company Sun Edison. Um, they declared bankruptcy a couple years ago, um, and its counsel, uh, Ora Carrington and Sutcliffe, um, the company is like I say in the middle of a bankruptcy proceeding, and it came out this week an allegation emerged um, that Oric um, aided the company. Uh, by doctoring more than $2 million worth of its invoices to help the company pay its own legal bills. Wow. Um, yeah, that's pretty bad. How how much evidence do we have? What do we learn yeah. about this? So, like I say, Sun Edison is in the middle of a Chapter 11 proceeding, and when that happens, people come forward with claims of either unpaid bills or fraudulent transactions, things like that. Um, and that's what happened here. At basically, the basic facts are this. Um, Around like late 2015, the company is basically circling the drain, and Oric is doing all kinds of legal work for them. They worked on a couple of mergers, and they did some other things, compliance-type stuff. Um, and this work was piling up. These invoices are piling up for Oric's work, and Sun Edison doesn't have a lot of cash on hand. They can't pay them. 
so they go to the firm, and this is, again, this is all alleged in this document that was filed. Right. Um, they go to Oric, and they sort of begin to plot out, you know, the broad strokes of a scheme to basically help them get more cash on hand. And they got a line of credit uh, from this bank in Singapore uh, to basically borrow from that bank to pay Oric's bills. Okay. The problem is the terms that the bank applied said, uh, we're not going to approve any bills that are past due for more than 30 days. And that was true of almost all these Oric bills because they've been piling up for like months. So Oric allegedly comes up with a plan. like, okay, We'll submit a new batch of invoices, consolidated, and basically obscure the past due uh, notifications. Uh. It's about $2 million worth of legal work. And they say, well, we'll just write you a new invoice uh, and, <laughs> and and pretend like we just did $2 million worth of work in the last like 30 oh, days. That's really interesting. Is it like, it, yeah. you know, because uh, it's weird. Like it's, yes. so, you know, a law firm's like supposed to be your, like, it's... It's an interesting dynamic because well, they and we're we talk about this so often on the show. It's usually not a whole firm co- concocting something. Um, it's usually like one yes, bad and, egg. Yes, and I should I should make that clear. There is a part. It is it is uh, depicted in the complaint as the brainchild of an Oric partner. The partner right. is not named. So right. yes, um, I should I should say but that. But I mean, but I also... think what comes up so often with that though is we talk about like they're lawyers. They they definitely know better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but what I was going like to say that. is like fl- like. Th- th- Giving a client the flexibility to like, you know, pay in different ways, whether they knew that they were doing it for this reason, yeah. it sounds like is part of the claim. Right. But definitely. But you can see how it would bleed. Like there could be a a, a, a way to do this in a oh, way yeah. that people do it all the time. Like yeah. we can't pay our bills. We need X flexible period to pay them yes. or we need to consolidate right. them into something. I don't know. It just doesn't seem. I don't know. Yeah. So the scheme basically comes down to they they defrauded this bank by pretending they were in a healthier financial state than they were. It's like, right. oh, we have these invoices. We just need some. We're, we're going to draw on our line of credit to pay them when, in fact, yeah. they were not even close to being able to pay them. Um, so an interesting uh, service there. Again, it's just a complaint that is filed in sort of a, the, the very Byzantine U.S. bankruptcy yeah. process. But the way it basically goes is if the trustee, the, the Sun Edison trustee, has reason to believe that the company made a fraudulent transaction, uh, the trustee can now is now attempting to claw the money back from Oric. Right. Um, and that is where we're at now. Um, Oric, I'm sure, will file some sort of uh, opposition to it or we'll see how it goes um but yeah you know like you say the uh the light of bankruptcy shines bright and it's uh certainly shining bright on Oric at the moment Prosecutors made closing arguments this week in one of the first major criminal cases brought against pharma executives over the opioid crisis. The government says a small company called Insys Therapeutics contributed to the epidemic by bribing doctors to prescribe addictive fentanyl. Covering the trial for the past few weeks has been our own Chris Villani, who joins us now to talk about the case. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And we thank you for making time for us because you're not only covering this circus, but you're on Operation Varsity Blues duty as well, which we talked about earlier. So thank you very much. Yeah, Boston's trying to give the Southern District of New York a run for his <laughs> I say, money I can, when it comes I, to high-profile cases. <laughs> I, I can picture the New York Times trend piece now. It's like, the next hotspot for litigation, it's Boston, yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, all right, Chris. So, I mean, if I'm Becky's in town, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, give us the big-picture sketch here of this case against INSYS. When was it filed? What, what are prosecutors sort of roughly saying that, that this company and its executives did? 
Sure. So the criminal case dates back to late 2016. Uh, that's when these, these several executives, and actually a couple more than uh, they're actually on trial now, if you pled guilty and ended up being the star witnesses at trial, um, that's when the, the criminal case was filed. And there were uh, parallel and still are parallel civil cases all over the country, including one with the DOJ that was resolved by the company to the tune of uh, about $150 million last August. But wow. essentially the allegation here is that INSYS engaged in a scheme to bribe doctors to prescribe this drug. And the way they did it is set up these speaker programs. So they would have a doctor show up, um, fly him into Texas or L.A. or even just in that doctor's hometown, invite other doctors, and the doctor would speak about the INSYS drug. It's called Subsys, under the tongue fentanyl spray to treat breakthrough cancer pain, and educate doctors uh, about substance and why it might be good for their patients. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But what the government says happened was a quid pro quo that basically said, look, they approached these doctors and said, we're going to get you these speaking fees. We're going to pay you money to go talk to the, we don't care whether any doctors show up. (laughs) We don't care whether anybody (laughs) learns anything. Uh, We don't even care what you say. We're going to give you the money in exchange. You're going to prescribe this drug. That's part of the conspiracy. Yeah. The other part of it, uh, the other allegation is essentially insurance fraud, and it's charged as a racketeering conspiracy. Yeah. But the other part is insurance fraud, where they allegedly were calling up and essentially lying to insurance companies and saying, yeah, this person had cancer, they have breakthrough cancer pain, that's what we're doing, uh, in order to get them to pay for it, because substance costs about $19,000 a month. Right. So. There's, there's sort of a litany of allegations here that are all being tried under the umbrella of a racketeering conspiracy. Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating case. And we talked even just on last week's show about yeah. the sort of outgrowth of litigation that has that has come uh, under the umbrella of the opioid crisis. You know, sort of in broad terms, you kind of have, have explained it a little bit, but just in broad terms, um, how does this how does this specific trial fit into the, the you know, sort of raft of other cases that have been filed? And how does this one stand out in your mind? Well, the way it was described to me, I wrote about this back in January, uh, right before the case started, is it's kind of a militaristic government approach. Some people have likened it to uh, the tobacco uh, company litigation that that dates back now 20 years or so. Um, And it's got a lot of layers to it. If you are in some way dealing in opioids and thought to be contributing to the opioid crisis, the government will be interested, whether you're the ambulance driver that's sneaking pills out the back door, or in this case, the big pharma executive who's facing up to 20 years in prison. And mm-hmm. I talked to a former DEA agent turned attorney who told me this would be, if, if they can get convictions against somebody like John Kapoor, who's the founder and CEO of INSYS and one of the five executives on trial, if they can get convictions against these guys and start sending these people to prison, that's a game changer. So whether they'll be able to convince the jury We'll see. Uh, The jury could have the case, should have the case within a few days here. Uh, But if they can get those convictions, this would sort of be a new front and a new um, benchmark. And and you start to think of some of the big names, probably the biggest, of course, the OxyContin makers, the Sackler family that are facing uh, a litany of civil cases, including one here in Massachusetts. You start. It's one thing to say, okay, they're they're losing money. It's another to say these executives are going to prison. Right, that's yeah. what's on the line. Without a doubt. And you got to think that they're hoping that it'll have a something of a prophylactic effect, right? That that you know that people will see this and and it'll prevent some of this bad behavior in a in a broader sort of less direct sense. Um, so okay, so that's a good place to sort of pivot to what has been 
transpiring in this trial itself. Um, we you've you've been in the courtroom a lot covering it. Uh, walk us through how this trial has gone, both for the prosecution and for for uh, the incest folks. Sure. So the vast majority of it was uh, the government's case. It was nine weeks to put on the government's case. They had over 600 wow. exhibits, 40 witnesses. Uh, the defense case lasted three days. Wow. So okay. it was much more on the incest side of things, trying to poke holes in the government's case. Um, and, and they say they, they got nowhere close to proving a racketeering conspiracy because the element of intent without getting too far into the weeds. But mm-hmm. the, the case was essentially built on uh, the testimony of a few different categories of people. So you had doctors who, some of them are in prison, uh, were shipped up from or over from whatever prison they happen to be in right yeah, now, right. and testified that, that they were part of this. You also heard from patients, and part of the allegation here is that INSYS executives knew, or at the very least should have known, that if they were bribing doctors and pressuring them, write more scripts, write higher dosages, mm-hmm. people inevitably were going to be prescribed this drug and did not need it. And yeah. this is not something that you want to take if you don't need it for a legitimate medical purpose. Very powerful opioid, yeah. and it can be highly addictive, as any opioid can be. So that was kind of category number two. And then the third one, INSYS um, executives or other employees, many of whom pled guilty or were testifying under uh, immunity deals or, or cooperation agreements. The two star witnesses, quote-unquote, former CEO Michael Babbage and former national sales director Alex Berlikoff, they were initially included in the RICO indictment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Babbage pled guilty at the 11th hour. It was in December, uh, literally weeks before trial. Berlikoff, right before that, in November, pled guilty. And not surprisingly, on the defensive side, on the defense side of things, They've been trying to say, look, there might have been some conduct going on here that was problematic, but it's the guys who are now telling whatever story the government wants yeah. to try to save their own skin. If anybody's to blame, it's them, particularly Burlikoff. He's the one that's been painted by the defense as out of control, running the sales staff with an iron fist, yeah. and responsible for any of the line crossing that may have occurred at in well, I want to talk a little bit about this because to to read your headlines uh, to, of, of your dispatches from this trial is to experience a a rich tapestry of corporate weirdness. Um, so, like, let's talk about that a little bit. There's been like all kinds of colorful stuff that's come to light. What are what what have been you know sort of the, some of the highlights in that regard? Highlights, well, highlights in quotes, I suppose, depending on your perspective. But, I mean. Yeah. Look, since I just mentioned Berlikoff, the yeah. the highlight I think of uh, this entire uh, trial for for a lot of folks was the video, and yeah. this video was Alec Berlikoff dressed as a human sized bottle of subsis in the highest dose that's allowed uh, of subsis, and dancing around to I think it's ASAP Rocky. I'm not a huge hip hop guy. I'll yeah, be honest, it is. But the song Bleeping problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is ASAP Rocky. So we've actually ASAP talked about Rocky. that. We, we, we've actually talked about that on, uh, uh, on the show before. Pretty wild. I feel like even if that, no matter what happens with their guilt or innocence of these racketeering charges, that is proof that they are guilty of being extremely weird and, and, and lame. Yeah, yeah our but, conclusion last time was just never make videos like that internally. Internal corporate videos. Your attorneys agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, uh, but we saw one this week about a guy, th- they, they claimed someone threw their phone off, off a mountain. What was that one? Yeah, yeah, that was a fun headline to write. Um, 
so regional sales director uh, Joe Rowan, he's one of the five people that's on trial. He, according to witness testimony, told folks this is in early 2014. The government started investigating that December of 2013. And then, yeah. according to witness testimony, they started saying, look, be careful about what you put in print, what you email, what you text about doctors and about our communications with doctors, et cetera, because there's a government subpoena that was just handed to us in December. Right. So Joe Rowan, at a bar outing with a, a bunch of other <laughs> incest people, told the folks he took care of it. He's good because when he went on a ski trip, he hucked his phone off the side of a mountain. <laughs> so nothing That's... to worry about there. He denies it. For the record, he denies okay, it. But yeah. it's one of those things that as a reporter, you really badly wanted to No, do. without a doubt. I, uh, you know, I mean, we've, I've, I've often thought about like you know getting one of those burner phones and what it must feel like to just snap yeah. one in half and throw it in the trash. People have people clearly. Have, I've been thinking too small. Hucking it off the side of a mountain right. is the way to go. Yeah. People right. have lost their phones. Be up to the top of a mountain, <laughs> wind up and just send that thing into the crushing abyss. Allegedly, of a valuable. Allegedly, allegedly. Witnesses <laughs> right. uh, say. <laughs> right. Any other um, any other highlights that that you remember from from your time in the courtroom? Well, the testimony has been salacious at, at times, and if nothing else, and again, there's nothing illegal about this, but uh, INSYS has a, or had a certain Melrose place or 90210 quality to it. Yeah. I've counted at least half a dozen inter-office romances, yeah. affairs, trips, whatever you want to call them. It seemed like uh, there were numerous people who were hooking up with numerous other people, Mike Babich uh, allegedly with two or three people <laughs> over the course of uh, his time there, and Berlikoff, same deal, and, and Kapoor uh, supposedly had a relationship with somebody on his sales staff. That was talked about a couple of weeks ago, so there's been that. Yeah. And then there's one defendant, Sunrise Lee, who in some ways she's uh, an outlier. She was a little bit lower ranked than some of the others. She's the only woman, and her attorney made what some might look at as a fairly valid argument to say that could have tried her separately in two or three weeks and the the reason that the government wanted her as part of this case is because of a set of facts again she denies some of this but that she uh she's a former exotic dancer that's one part of it but yeah. that she gave a doctor a lap dance um <laughs> there were topless pictures of her that oh. were found online after she was hired at insys so again some of this conduct she denies some of it she doesn't but what her, her attorney argues, and, and many would agree, is that it doesn't really matter. You know, none yeah. of this stuff. Um, if you had a, a past career that some may frown upon for whatever reason, it doesn't necessarily mean you're guilty of a racketeering conspiracy. Sure, sure. So that information has come in uh, quite a bit as well, and it's added to, I guess, the salacious nature of Definitely. the trial. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to whether um, the government's able to prove this racketeering conspiracy and they've got at least one serious doubter in that courtroom which is really interesting it's happened just the last couple of days and it's allison burroughs who's the judge overseeing the case <laughs> oh yeah i was gonna ask she about said this the last two days uh, sorry i don't mean to steal your thunder but she said the last two days that she feels like this case is really thin or at least parts of it uh are, yeah. are really thin from the government's perspective she's still sending it to the jury and she trusts the jury Will um, she like many judges? I've, I've talked to her about this. She's a big believer that juries get it right, and she's very protective of her juries. So they're going to get the case, but she is not completely sold based on what she said the last couple of days. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, um, we will be looking out for what the jury eventually says. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Your coverage has been awesome. Uh, we appreciate it. 
course. I appreciate it, guys. And if any part of this conversation went badly, don't worry. I'll go to the top of the mountain and throw my phone off. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dude. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. today guys i want to talk about mistakes and we all make them yeah it's true (laughs) well we do but some are bigger than others and a judge recently made one that was really troublesome who are we to judge you know (laughs) well he accidentally resigned after only three months on the job i mean you can attest i accidentally quit all the time i've been trying to accidentally resign from law 360 for a while uh yeah i won't allow it okay allow those accidental well well, what's this guy's secret what in the world happened here He's a Harris County, Texas civil court judge. His name's Bill McLeod. And he was elected in 2018, just sworn in this January. Okay. He recently posted that he planned to run for the state Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So that seems An like admirable no big career deal. goal for yourself, I well, suppose. It's a, it's yeah. A, you know, a fast track. You ha- know? Have aspirations, put them out into the world. Sure. Uh, but there's a problem. The Texas Constitution says if you declare something like that, it constitutes a resignation from the bench. <laughs> Okay. Uh, wait. So he he said this like in like a social media post. Or yeah. He, or he just um, like public or if you publicly declare it. Exactly. You're, so I either way, but his bankruptcy. bankruptcy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So his declaration was online, but yeah, okay. it's if you publicly declare. What if you it? say so, it? What if under, you, like, what if you well, say it to your wife? In your <laughs> say it, wow, you say guys it in the shower. Deep diving. <laughs> say you, it to yourself. If you declare for that, you're going to run for the state supreme court, and no one hears it. Did you really declare it? <laughs> So the way this works is that um, county judges and other court officials, they can announce their candidacy for other offices if they, the key is they have to have less than a year and 30 days left in their current term. Okay. He obviously just Because he just, he just got the job. Um, so if you announce those plans earlier in your term, like this guy who had just started, it's an automatic resignation. I wonder, I mean, I don't. I don't have Sam Houston's number here or whoever. That's actually probably the, the totally real... wrong date. I wonder what the idea was behind it. Such a provision. It seems just maybe to prevent like, you know, to prevent early electioneering. Yeah, probably. Uh, it just is kind of like you like there, there's no like people. I, I guess I mean, you're like you're you get used to the idea of people, especially in political offices, just being right. like, yeah, I'll seek office for this or this, and they're still nominally in their job. I mean, I think for a lot of people, the idea of elected judges in general is a strange True. concept. And also yeah. it would keep elected judges, like you said, early electioneering, and also sort of this guy. I mean, he denounced this like a couple months after you take one bench, you're already saying that you're the real, one foot out the job and want to want to move on. The real double whammy here is uh, like not only is he now out of a job, but like he's infamous for like a yeah, judge like who didn't understand the state constitution. Good, good luck at your next job. Like he's, he's not going to help you get the next. He's going to get the yeah. state supreme court, then he's going to want to run for president or something. So, so this automatic resignation is a real thing in their constitution, okay. and it, it applies to him. But there's a chance he could stay on the bench in his current uh, position. County commissioners could appoint him to fill his own vacancy until there's a special election. Okay. So it would basically keep him in place. Um, so as you can imagine, since this all started with some online chatter, it's there's a bunch of social media stuff about it right now. Um, in Texas, there's a bunch of Facebook groups and, and other things on Twitter, that kind of stuff, calling on these county commissioners to keep him in place. And their logic behind those is, 
the the voters in Texas elected this guy. They didn't anticipate for him to get sure. caught in this way. Sure. It wasn't any wrongdoing. He just didn't know about this provision. So I mean, I would argue that not knowing about a state constitutional provision as a judge is, you know, that's yeah, it's true. Seem great. Problematic. So there's obviously a debate going on about what to do about his position. I wonder if he takes similar leniency to people who didn't know about like criminal. True statutes. Something like, about ignorance you know, and, 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 and an excuse for breaking the law. Yeah, I don't know. it'll be interesting to keep an eye on his like drug docket. That'll That's true. Yeah. yeah. For me, the takeaway is uh, less ambition. Just don't. Uh, you don't need to try for anything. Honestly, else. as your boss, love hearing it. Love hearing that <laughs> oh. your takeaway from a story is less ambition. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. I think we are out of time. We are definitely out of time. Let's leave it there, guys. Cool. Thanks for the show today, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Thanks. We'd also like to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader, our guests this week, Chris Villani, and contributing reporters, Emma Cueto, Andrew Strickler, and Aaron Leibowitz. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. We'd love for you to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to the show and leave us a written review. It helps others find Pro Se. If you want to know more about any of the legal developments we've talked about today, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and see you again next week.